I guess we're just we're talking about words. You can just make them up. Yeah, <laughs> I mean nowadays you can. There's cap, no cap. You got that one? You know that one? Capitalized? No, cap is like, uh, like kind of is, is capitalized, but like the kids say like no cap. Like it's kind of like the like for sure. Like so, like if you were to tell me you had a million dollars, I said cap. It's basically like me saying bullshit. And then me saying no cap is like, yeah, for sure. Like locking what in. What does no- cap stand for then? I, great question. Ask ask the youth of America nowadays or the world. I have more questions. Yeah, yeah. I now have more questions than I have answers. <laughs> I know. Words are crazy. Um, but, I mean, even we look at them even more than just the weird language of youth that make the youth, what the youth make nowadays. The youths. Um we look at words and the influence that they have just on the overall being. And that's what we're going to talk about today because words matter and words are powerful. Um, and so that's what we're going to talk about here with Cody. So Cody, where are we starting today overall? First, nice segue. Thank you. Yeah. Wasn't that pretty good? That's that pretty good. It's like you planned it. I know, right? <laughs> Second, uh, and more importantly, we'll talk about the power of words. Yeah. The words that we use, uh, we are going to discuss some of the, uh, take out some, we are going to discuss the pillar, some pillars of language, uh, known as conflict language, architect language. Okay. So we've established, uh, words have power. Absolutely. You know, um, why, why, why is this important in this context? Health fitness really, you are your greatest coach. You know, if you're coming to the gym five hours a week, you're getting exposed to five hours of coaching. There are 168 hours in the week. So this gives you 163 other hours where the, the voice that is telling you what you air quote should be doing, um, are not doing well, whose fault it is, that voice is magnified for 20 times longer than you're receiving positive feedback in an environment like the gym. So what we want to look at is how can we take those, those words, those stories and have them work for us rather than against us? Because if they are not working for you, they are very likely working against you. Right. Absolutely. And what's really cool about this is Cody and I had a conversation on the weekend about this topic um, and just kind of dabbling back and forth with ideas. And we talked about vegetables and I kid you not, we did a simple little game and I ate vegetables yesterday and I plan on eating vegetables today. So that's a long story. I'm not gonna get too in detail, but just know that they revolved around like altering my words and my thought process and everything like that. And now I'm eating vegetables this week. So yeah, we went through a should detox. Yeah, exactly. And now I am. So it's pretty sweet. (laughs) Power of words. Absolutely. Um, beautiful. So that starts to take us into our, um, our overall topic then. So where are we starting with this idea of words are they powerful? They matter. Um, there's obviously a first stop. There's going to be lots of stops to go through here. So what's our first uh, topic and discussion? We will start with what I believe uh, the flow to be. Mm, okay. Right? So I used to believe that this was a linear path. It was words create stories, stories influence beliefs, beliefs shape behaviors, and our behaviors ultimately cultivate our identity. Right. I used to believe this was a words lead to stories, lead to beliefs, lead to behaviors, lead to identity, straight line. I, over time, right, and experience and just observing, mm, yeah, I see this as, as a cyclical pattern. 
more now. So not only do the words lead to identity, but in peace and part, the identity that we cultivate leads to the words that we choose, changes our lexicon. Yeah. Right. Chooses the word, you know, CrossFit is a great example. There's words that exist in the CrossFit affiliate that never existed with that prevalence before. Right. right. Yeah. Imam, AMRAP, even when you said the girls, right? Oh, like, yeah. Oh, yeah. So Sally, Sandy, and yeah. Barbara. <laughs> now th- those are like those trigger experiences. PTSD. <laughs> Sure. But yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, they can. Right. So now those words are attached to stories, which uh, good, bad and different. Right. Mm -hmm. They ultimately they influence the type of person that you believe that you are. And then they can reaffirm those stories. Political ideologies is a great example of this as well. Mm. Right. The the ideology that you subscribe to in shape and part. Uh, dictates the the lexicon, the words that you're going to use. Mm. Mm. Okay. So this is why I now believe that it's a cyclical thing. And it, this is for better and for worse. Mm-hmm. Right? It can be positive. It can be negative. A little bit of both. So one of the ways that we will, we're going to start with the words and then we'll, we'll work out. All right. Perfect. All right. So the ground floor, starting with the words. One of the easiest ways that we can do this is we're going to play a game. Mm. So James has a pen and a pencil. Everyone else listening, if you uh, if you can right now, if you're in a safe spot, obviously not while you're driving, <laughs> grab a pen, grab a pencil, pause this, do whatever you need to do. Okay, pen, piece of paper. We're gonna play a game called the one word game. So James, what I would like you to do is I would like you to write this sentence. How can I ever get over this? Okay. I've written the sentence. Now, please read that sentence out loud. How can I ever get over this? Okay. What's the what's the mental imagery, the emotion? What comes up for you when you read that sentence? I feel like my heart rate's starting to escalate a little bit, to be honest with you. I don't know if that's a bad thing or a good thing, but um, no, my heart rate, I do feel like anxious, very anxious. I feel anxious. I feel blockage. I, I just, I see very, very big mountainous things blocking my way right now. Okay. Uh, scale of one to 10, one being small, 10 being huge. How big is this? Oh, this feels like an eight. All right. So how can I ever get over this? Feels blockage, heart rate elevated. Uh, it's an eight out of 10. All right. We're going to rewrite this sentence. All I want you to do is take out the word ever. Please read that statement out loud. How can I get over this? How can I get over this? What comes up for you when you read that out loud? Any difference? Yeah, honestly, as I was writing it, my stomach almost like dropped back down to normal. Mm. So when I originally wrote it, I was saying it, my stomach was up in my throat and now it started to settle a little bit. I don't feel the, the sensation of my uh, jugular pounding anymore. So that's always a good thing. Uh, so it wasn't bad, but um, yeah, I just feel much more settled. I feel optimistic. Awesome. Scale of one to 10, one being small, 10 being huge. We're flowing around the four to five. Okay. So that optimism is a four or a five. Mm -hmm. 
Great. Oh, wait, the optimism? Yeah. Optimism now is like six, seven. We're feeling good. All right. So the optimism is a six or a seven, but that that previous feeling of the anxiety, the worry goes down to the four or five. Mm-hmm. Yes. Great. So we cut that in half and um, added good, right? The optimistic side. Yeah. So the reason that this is called the one word game is we changed one word. Yeah. We took out the word ever. So most people who play this game have the similar experience that you just had. When I write down, how can I ever get over this? It feels huge and daunting. Like I see people slump in the shoulders. Yeah. And you can just see like, how can I, oh my, how can I ever get over this? What that word ever does is it, 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 it focuses us, it, it trains our attention, right? It focuses us on all of the things that would be in the way mm-hmm. to solving the problem. Yeah, that was like, I had like flashbacks, like, okay, this isn't my way, this, this is the issue. I can't, like, th- like all the things that are currently, like, there or issues in my, like, current domain are just, like, pop in my head, like, oh, shit. Oh, yeah. Shit. So that word ever is called a presupposition. Mm. So it presupposes... Um, all of the the conflicts, the issues that you may have when you're trying to solve. Mm. By taking that word out, you you snapped into optimistic mode, problem solving mode. Like you saw things that were not available to you with that single word. Yeah, that thing there. was huge. Ever was huge in that situation. Yeah. This is a micro example of the power mm. of the words that we use. Yeah. So. We know that words affect four things, four key areas. They affect our imagination. Example right there, right? How can I ever get over this? It's big. It's right in my face, right? I can see all of the the problems, mm-hmm. right? It affects our emotions, right? So physical or physically, you notice that elevated heart rate, mm-hmm. a little bit of anxiety, yeah. maybe uh, fear, sadness, any emotion tied with that word, breath. So most typically the breathing goes from what's called parasympathetic to sympathetic. The difference is sympathetic breaths will be what we call high and tight. Mm. Typically we're breathing up into the chest. It's very short and and choppy, okay? The parasympathetic is the rest and digest system. So sympathetic is your fight, flight, or freeze. Pulls the blood in from the extremities, puts it towards the core, uh, dilates the pupils. It says, all right, I need to have more visual acuity. I need to either fight this bear or run. Mm. Your system, the human system, does not understand the difference between there's a bear and there's a story running around in my head that is causing me stress. Mm. It treats stress the same way. Mm. Stress is stress is stress. Yeah. Psychological, emotional, physiological, the same stress that you get in a workout, which is physiological stress, is this your body will try to adapt and deal with that stress in the same way as a story running around in your head about how you're not good enough that you've been carrying for 20 years. Mm. Okay. You're going to breathe high and tight, breathe up into the chest. Oh, yeah. Okay? Where what we look for is that parasympathetic breath, which is what we call low and slow. So low being we want to breathe down into the abdomen. Now, no, you don't have lungs in your abdomen. (laughs) What you're trying to do is take full deep breaths down, push the diaphragm down, and you want to be slower on the exhale. So versus 
right? The hyperventilative, yeah. like, yeah, panic mode, passing out mode. Yeah. Well, think about, you know, I, I had this example with somebody that I was working with just last week. We were, uh, she was retelling a story mm-hmm. about, um, you know, her spouse almost hit a deer with their car. Mm-hmm. And the first thing that she did was go, <gasps> oh, yeah. That's the sympathetic response. That is your. That is the story in your head taking over your breath. Mm. How do you imagine she reacted to that situation? Oh yeah. Panic. Her next yeah. question was, "What the f?" Yeah. So, it's called an amygdala hijack when that happens. Right. The amygdala is the lizard part of the brain. The the babies have it right. It's the it's the I need food. I need shelter. I need security, safety. It's shuts off when that happens it shuts off the prefrontal cortex the thinking part of the mm-hmm. brain the part of the brain that doesn't develop until we're 25 mm-hmm. right so you just got yours I know, I'm congratulations in my prime, baby. I'm in my prime. <laughs> but what that does is it shuts off the uh it shuts off the the thinking about all of the options and turns on the make a decision part yeah just the get down great it's the it's the fight or flight it's mm-hmm. the sympathetic parasympathetic right it's the i either gotta i gotta fight this bear or i gotta run it's not hmm, i wonder what i'm gonna have for dinner later <laughs> fair enough okay <laughs> so it affects the breath the last thing that it affects is the physiology or the posture mm. so high school is a great example of this right you can walk into any high school and you can tell what kids having a good day and what kids having a bad day by the or or more accurately what stories going through their head mm. by their posture yeah i even have my crossfit kids class there's kids i can tell them like you didn't have a good day at school today, did you? Like, yeah. You seem kind of rough. Like All of those things, those four things, our imagination, our emotions, yeah. our breath, our posture, they're tied to the stories that run around in our head. Hmm. The stories affect us for better and for worse. Right. So what they do, what those stories really do is they influence something called our RAS, our reticular activating system. Really easy example of this. Um, your car, right? So when you, when you got that new car, the days, weeks, the, the day leading up to it, how frequently did you see that car? I didn't know the brand or like make of my car existed. What kind I, of car do you have? I have a Chevy Cruze. Chevy silver. Cruze. Oh yeah. All right. So before you bought that car, you didn't even know that that was a vehicle that was available to no, you. Didn't even know it existed. Had no clue. The day of and the days and weeks following owning that car, how many Chevy Cruises did you see? Oh, everywhere. Everyone's got a Chevy Cruise now. I swear. (laughs) This is a practical example of your reticular activating Mm. system. You know, if you and I are driving down the highway from here to Angola and I say, James, don't find a red car. Mm. What are you likely going to do? I'm fine. Every red car there is. <laughs> Everyone between here and there, you're not going to see another color because the words that I used influence your reticular activating system. Mm. Now that you own that car, the Chevy Cruze, you see that everywhere mm. because there was a switch that was turned on in your RAS that told you to filter for this thing. Why? Because this thing is important. The reticular activating system is not emotional. It doesn't care, really. I mean, negation acknowledged, it doesn't care. It just wants to make you, your brain wants to make you happy. So it wants to focus on the things that you have told it are important. This car is mine now. It's important to me. Mm -hmm. I wonder how many of them there actually are. Holy Mm. shit, they're everywhere. Yeah. 
So now when it comes down to that RAS system, does that actually influence uh, actions as well? So, cause for example, believe it or not, my yesterday, my class, we were, uh, with my kids, we were practicing with PVC pipes for uh, a pressing overhead. Um, so I had the PVC pipes laid down on the ground and I asked them, you know, line up in front of a PVC pipe and then we're going to go through the skill. And one of them starts to step on the PVC pipe and, you know, do the balance act falls and eats it and spills. And I was like, yes, do not step on your PVC pipe. And I kid you not like 90% of my class started doing, it. I said, guys, stop stepping on that PVC pipe and start. And everyone, you can just see them just start trying it and start trying trying it. So is that like a similar situation with that RAS system or is it more so just kids being rambunctious? Absolutely. Yeah. When you, anybody who's a parent out there, one (laughs) of the, I imagine one of the things in the manual that doesn't exist is tell your kids what you want them to do, not what you do not want them to do. Mm. Right. I'm 32 years old. And if you tell me don't do something, the first thought that goes through my head is I'm doing that thing. (laughs) (laughs) You're not the boss of me. I'm an adult. Right. Kids are the same way. Okay. They the problem the the reason that the thing that separates adults from children is the uh, prefrontal cortex, the decision making part of the brain, right? right? It fully develops by the time that you're around 25 years old. You need it to survive. That's why you're born with that piece of your brain, and also, you know, biologically, um, that part didn't evolve until later. Mm-hmm. That's the amygdala is the piece that's always been around the reticular activating system, the, the filter, the things that says, all right, here's what's important. It's been with us for a little bit longer because mm-hmm. we always needed to know was what was that rustling in the bushes? Oh, yeah. Was it was it a tiger or was it just the wind? Mm-hmm. So it, we needed something to focus our attention. Now we can use words now that we have the capacity as the human species to use language. Right. We use words to do the same thing. Hey, don't do that makes you focus on doing that mm-hmm. because the cue that I gave you was something called a negation. It told you what not to do. Regardless of whether it told you what not to do or what to do, that's what you heard. That's what you that's where your focus was trained. Okay. Okay. So yes, the reason most likely the reason that the kids all wanted to step on the PVC pipe because you told them not to step on the PVC pipe where a better thing would have been, Hey, everyone pick your PVC pipes up. Mm -hmm. Cause now what do we want versus what we don't want? Right. Looking at it like goals outside of the gym, right? Or people coming in, getting started. I don't want to be fat. I don't want to be unhealthy. I don't want to feel like shit. Mm. Your reticular activating system goes on a seek and find mission. So if you use that sort of language, don't want to be fat, don't want to be unhealthy, don't want to feel like shit, your brain will find more evidence of those things. Mm. Why, why you are fat, why you are unhealthy and why you feel like shit. It becomes a loop. Again, going back to the words, stories, beliefs, behavior, identity, these things loop. They become a pattern. Mm, okay. Beautiful. My kids are rambunctious. That's I'm telling you. But Tell them what you do want them to which, do. That's what ended up working. They were all trying. It's like, all right, pick up your PVC pipes. Sure enough, we were on the right track. Yep. But all right, beautiful. Um, so perfect. So that kind of leads us then into those pillars. We've already started to briefly touch on some of them. So, um, but with 
this whole concept of words, there's pillars that go behind um, everything. So we can start diving into that. And so go ahead and lead us into that first pillar or that first stop that we're going to start talking about. Yeah. So to take one small step back, yeah. there's two uh, there's two categories of language that we focus on. There is what's called conflict language. You can think of this like uh, survival language. And then there is architect language or the language of creation. So what conflict language does is, is conflict language is language that escalates and dramatizes conflict through distorting focus, lack of clarity and or confusion. Okay. So it turns the volume up on drama, conflict language. Easy oh. way to remember it turns the volume up internally on drama. Mm. Okay. Conflict language as it relates to athletes, right? Specifically creates domination and separation. So people who come into the gym, we call athletes, right? We do that because we're trying to cultivate the identity of an athlete. Mm. We know that athletes train, they don't exercise, they fuel and eat well, they don't diet. So we want to use words very specifically to start to influence our identity. We want to be in harmony. An athlete is in harmony with their body and they're in alignment rather than dominating and separating. Conflict language has three, three pillars, like you said. Okay. There are three subcategories of conflict yeah. language. There are soft talk, negations, and projections. Now, the other side of this is the architect language, the language of creation. Each of these has a flip side of the coin. Mm -hmm. So for soft talk, there is solid talk. For negations, there are affirmations. And for projections, there are reflections. Mm -hmm. We'll start with the easiest to understand first and the easiest to start to train and change, which would be soft talk. Okay. So what soft talk is, is the excessive use of softening words to create ambiguity, uh, uncertainty and avoidance about a particular concept or choice. Here's the example. I should, or I would like to start going to the gym more frequently one day. Oh, would you? <laughs> <laughs> That's universally the response. Right. Right. I would like to start going to the gym more frequently one day. Yeah. It's not very convincing. No, no. Why it is unconvincing is because it is full of soft talk. So soft talk keywords are going to be like, maybe, one day, perhaps, possibly, probably, uh, kind of, sort of, would like to, think, guess, hopefully, try, could, should, soon, and might not a comprehensive list. Mm -mm. That's most of them though. Oh, absolutely. So I would like to start coming to the gym more frequently. One day has two pieces of soft talk in there. The would like to, and one day what they do, what those words do is they, they distort the focus. They create ambiguity and uncertainty because by using them, I'm not really committing to anything. Yeah. I, that's a good way to phrase it. I didn't think about it that way because it does. It keeps you from like going full in. It's like, exactly. Oh, yeah, maybe. 
Yeah. That's why many people use it and why we see it so frequently yeah. is it creates uh, it creates this safety net mm. for when we don't follow through on the things that we know we should do. We don't have to beat ourselves up about it or we choose not to beat ourselves because mm. well, I didn't really commit to it anyway. I yeah. said I should I would like to one day. I didn't say I was going to on Thursday. Mm -hmm. Like I should stretch like three to four times a week after I work out, but I no. should drink more water. <laughs> right. I should eat healthier. Yeah. Right. And people do go back, going back to the should detox. People do what Tony Robbins calls shooting all over themselves. Yeah. And there's a lot of things that you should do, but by using soft talk, we create that ambiguity and uncertainty. Mm -hmm. we're, we're not tied to anything. You know, if you're a young guy trying to get a date with a girl, I dare you walk up to her and be like, hey, would you hopefully like to maybe sort of one day go on a date? Yeah, man, that's not, not going to happen. Absolutely not. <laughs> How do you think that's going to go? It's oh, not going well. She's going to be like, I have something planned that yeah, day. Yeah, <laughs> I, I got a thing right now, actually. Yeah. I got it. I'm late for a thing. Yeah. Where the flip side of that, the, the, the nice thing about soft talk is why it's so easy is the, the way to translate it or to change that sentence to so, solid talk is to remove the soft talk. Mm -hmm. So rather than I would like to start going to the gym more frequently one day, I will start going to the gym on Thursday, mm. three times a week. Bam. So we have specificity. We have timelines. There's not like our ethereal kind of floating out here in space. It's I will do this. I made a commitment and I'm going to start on Thursday. And my objective is to do this three days a week. Mm -hmm. If we're, you know, going back to the kid example, if you're like, I would like you to go clean up your room or I would like you to stop doing that. I would like you. You would like me to do that. Oh, okay. Sweet. Versus go clean your room. Please stop doing that. One of the issues that people have with switching from soft talk to solid talk is they might feel like a jerk. Yeah, it comes off more. It, it can aggressive. come off aggressive. Exactly. Because yeah. soft talk is a social nicety, mm -hmm. right? When we say, hey, would you guys maybe like to go out to dinner this weekend? We're providing them with options. We feel as if we're providing the other party with options Yeah. rather than being too pushy. What that does, though, is it creates all that uncertainty. Well, do they really want me to go out to dinner with them? Um, you know, is it something that do I really have the space in my schedule versus me saying, hey, we're going to dinner on Thursday at 8 p.m. Can you join us? Solid talk. Yeah. We can get an accurate answer. Beautiful. So we change that. Now, how do we do it appropriately if we're if we feel like we're being a jerk about it? Add a smile and say, please. <clears throat> so rather than would you like to go clean your room? Go clean your room, please. Yeah, bam. We've solved soft talk. It's so approachable because you'll see this coming up. You'll see it in the things that you read, the things that you write, right? Your emails, your text messages. Oh, yeah. I see it everywhere now. It's like. To our, the RAS system, I, yep. see, I see it everywhere. It's a pattern. Yeah. Right? How do we change our, the patterns that we use? We start with interruption. Mm -hmm. Awareness is the first step of that. So soft talk, check. We take soft talk, we remove the softening words. We're going to do something at the very end of this uh, that will help magnify this for you. Yeah. Okay. 
Next, one that's a little bit more difficult and as deadly is called negations. So negations focuses, focus us on the outcomes we do not want, the things that we do not want. Uh, the flip side of that coin is an affirmation, which focuses us and trains us on what we do want. Negation setup words are things like can't, isn't, am not, are not, won't, shouldn't, couldn't. Okay, so any contraction that you notice in there or things with the word not. <laughs> I, I shouldn't eat this. <laughs> focuses me on what I should not be doing. Yeah. Right. So should is an interesting one. We'll get to later because uh, it's also uh, called pressure language. Mm, okay. But I'm not, I'm not, I can't do this. Yeah. Right? I used to tell one. people, I used to tell people uh, in the gym, there's only one four letter word that we don't allow. And it's the word can't. Yeah. So I can't do this, whatever it can, whatever the thing is, what that's going to do is it's going to train your brain to find all of the evidence for why you cannot be successful doing this thing. It's too difficult, it's too much time, it's too much money, it's too much energy, I don't have the support that I need, whatever. Versus I can do this, right? I can't believe it. I can't believe this happened to me. <laughs> Did it happen? Yeah, so then it then yeah. you better believe it. Yeah, that's exactly. That's a funny one. I never even thought about that until you just said that. But that's one that you get. To, I can't believe this happened. Well, it did. So you really, can't, you can't because it did happen. You got to believe it. Yeah. So um, negations, they focus on uh, focus us on what we don't want. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, if you think about someone in your life that's a chronic worrier. Mm. Oh yeah. It's likely that their uh, their language is full of negations. They focus on uh, what they're not, what they don't have, what they don't want, what they shouldn't be doing. Okay. Um, so pay attention. You can pay attention to that. And you, you know, somebody that you everybody just imagined someone when I said the word chronic worrier. Mm. Listen to their language, the way that they're speaking about things. It's highly likely that they're focused that they're using a lot of negations. Mm. They're focused on the stuff they can't do or yeah. can't do, shouldn't do, yeah. uh, don't want to mm. do. Right? I don't want to feel worried. You're gonna find more worry. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, negations. Bam. The last one. Uh, and the, what I will say the most venomous one, mm. and the reason it is the most venomous and the most deadly is because out of all, out of all three, this takes most of your power away. It also corrupts relationships with others. Mm. So this is called a projection. Um, it's got a nickname called a blame thrower. I like it. Not a flamethrower, a blame thrower. A blame thrower. I like it. So projections um, they are, are words that assign exclusive responsibility for who you are, who you have to be, um, what you think to someone or something outside of yourself. Okay. So I am this way because of my mother. He did that to me. Um, it is also a projection word, right? It hurt me. So it assigns responsibility, someone, something outside of ourselves. OK, 
Okay, these are projections. The flip side of this coin is a reflection. Mm. So we take those it, he, she, anybody's name, those are the projection setup words, and we, or them, right? Them is another nasty one. Oh. They don't understand me. Yeah. Right? Who's they? <laughs> right? And they, when we say, when we use they don't understand me or they were mean to me, we make it really big. Yeah. The, the blame's just all over the place. It's everybody, yeah. right? Because who's they? Right. They is everybody. <laughs> so they, uh, we take that, we remove the, we remove the, the projection setup word and we replace it with a reflection. Okay. So I am this way because of me versus I am this way because of my mother. He did that to me or I did that to me or he did that to himself. Um, they, they were mean to me. I was mean to me. They were mean to themselves. Those are two different ways that we can take projection statements and, and create what are called reflections, where we take back power, we take back authority, we take back ownership. Mm -hmm. And those are big ones. Those are ones I like to practice daily just because there's times that you fall in the loop. There's, I mean, like you said, it is, it is, it's a, it's a cylinder, like it's a circle uh, based thing is like, yep. there's times where I'll, I might have, you know, fixed it, but there's times where I come back to it and I get that mentality. I'm like, no, 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 step back. And I go like, okay, I did this to myself or I'm doing it. Like I take that back. I take the ownership. So I'm not sitting there pointing fingers at someone making them the bad guy. So then, cause it does, it, it gets toxic. Like whether it starts cause it can build and get to the point where it does make turmoil in the relationships. Um, so it's very good to step back and realize I want, it's very powerful. Yeah. My boss makes my job difficult. Mm -hmm. That's a really great example of the story that that creates is that your boss wakes up in the morning and the first thought that runs through his or her head is <laughs> how can I make James's day worse? <laughs> They wake up, they think about it on their way into work. They're trying to come up with all of these ways to make Excuse your day more yeah. difficult. That's the only thing that's on their mind and that's their sole purpose in life. Mm -hmm. But my boss makes my day more difficult, creates that story that your boss goes out of his or her way to present obstacles and challenges to you. Mm -hmm. Accurate or inaccurate? Most times inaccurate. Inaccurate. <laughs> yeah. Most of the time. Sure. Does, is there aspects of, you know, day or life that it could make more difficult for you? Yeah. yeah. But it's highly unlikely that even though they ask you to do things that make your day more difficult, their sole objective is just to make your day more difficult. <laughs> right. <laughs> but that's the story that gets created yeah. in our in our imaginations. Right. Mm -hmm. Going back to what are the words influence? They influence imagination being a yeah. part of it. So understanding that, right, it's a, it's a blame thrower. So I make my day more difficult. Mm -hmm. Oh, shit. Yeah, I do. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, and that's where, it, like, like, I like the idea, like you said, it takes ownership. So, yeah, now you're like, okay, I make my more day more difficult. How can I make that better? Yep. There's something you can do about it, yeah. right? Because if my day is the exclusive responsibility, the quality of my day, rather, is the responsibility yeah. of someone else, my boss, my spouse, my kids, whoever, what do I have to do about it? Right. Nothing. What can I do about it? Nothing. Mm -hmm. You have no ownership in that scenario. Um, a, a great one that applies to health and fitness is uh, I would like to come to the or I would come to the gym more frequently if only my kid's schedule wasn't so busy. <laughs> Minus the negations and the soft talk in there. Right. What you are doing by I would like to 
make my life. You're essentially saying I would like to make my life better. If only my damn kids (laughs) weren't so busy. So over time, what kind of story is that going to create? I can't be the best version of me. I can't be healthy. I can't take care of myself, myself. And it's all because of my damn kids. Mm -hmm. How is that going to manifest itself in the relationship? Right. And that's not going to be good. You're going to, your blame is on the kids. It's like, you're going to take your frustrations out on the kids. You're going to do whatever to the kids or whatever it is. Consciously or no, I'm not Uh, consciously or unconsciously, right? right? It's going to be, you're going to, you are likely going to offload things onto them and make things their fault that are not their fault Yeah, because the story running around in your head is you can't be as happy as you could be because they're in the way. Mm Mm-hmm. It, put, it makes a, a you versus me sort of relationship. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's big. So that's projections and reflections. Okay. Anytime that you're using him, they, it, someone's name, mm-hmm. you are likely creating a projection statement. Okay. There's two other um, that don't fit quite as neatly, but they're both, uh, they don't have easy flips, okay. but they are both... Um, and they are both conflict language. It's called binary language. So binary language would be the always, never, only, like you always do this to me. You never listen to me. You only you only come to the gym on Wednesdays. Yeah, okay. Whatever. The reason that this is dangerous language and it's conflict language is that it's inaccurate. Most of the time, it's inaccurate. If I say that you never listen to me, is that accurate? No, it's far from inaccurate. I'm listening to you right now. Exactly. <laughs> right? But the story in my head is that every time I speak, James doesn't listen. Yeah. You know, the kids, another perfect example. The kids in the group class. If you were to, you guys never listen. Is that accurate? No, because they do listen. They're probably listening to you right then in that moment. Oh, 100%. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So binary language, that's another thing to be aware of. It creates this. uh, The reason it's called binary language is it creates a reality that is not accurate. It creates a you're always never doing something versus sometimes. Mm. You know what? Sometimes you don't listen to me. I often uh, I often don't like how I'm showing up whatever. So right. sometimes, often, occasionally, these would be ways that we can go. And it, the reason it's important is it's accuracy. What's more accurate that you never listen to me or you sometimes don't listen to me It'd be on the sometimes for sure. Exactly. Yeah. We're likely going to have a better relationship personally and professionally. If I acknowledge that sometimes you don't listen to me rather, rather than, than you that, never listen yeah. to me, because <laughs> if I'm being honest and accurate, sometimes I don't listen to you. Right. Right. So it's the way. Binary language, check out for that. Watch yourself saying you always do X, Y, Z. You never do X, Y, Z. Um, every time, every time I come home and there's dirty dishes in the sink. Mm. Really? Mm. Every time? Every day? Mm. But That's the story in your imagination is that every day I come home, I have to do dishes now. Yeah. The other word, the other one is pressure language, which we started to touch on a little bit with the should. Mm. So should, need to, have to, uh, got to, right? They 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 apply pressure to us, right? Yeah, I should start going to the gym more. 
I need to get to the grocery store. They create that psychological and um, unconscious pressure mm -hmm. through the use of our language where we can say something, we can something like, I want to, I get to, right? It's changing the have to's to get to's. Yeah. I have to go to my kid's game. I have to go to work. The reality is no, you do not. Yeah, you really don't. <laughs> you don't have to do any of that. No, yeah. You choose to, mm -hmm. you get to. Yeah, that's a big one even now is, it also changes your, uh, your enthusiasm about things. When you say I get to, it's much more approachable, much more enjoyable where, yeah, I have to do this. Yeah, I have to do this. Okay, yeah, you have to do it. Okay, so you're sitting there just bogging yourself down when you start to look at things like get to do this because that's the reality of it is you do. You get to do it. Like some people, if you, even if you want to compare it to other people, some people don't get to do what you're doing. So it's a blessing in itself. So even if you look at it that way, but the get to just brings up a whole different like environment to the concept rather than like the bringing it down, making it a horrible thing, making it a, another thing you have to do. So yeah, I like that. I like using that a lot. I use it myself. If you're listening to this podcast in 2022, 2023, whatever year you decide to listen to this in, it's highly unlikely that there are many things that you have to do. And it's more likely that there are a lot of things that you are choosing to do. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So use your language to accurately um, represent your state, right? I choose to, even if, if I get to, doesn't feel good to you, right? You're like, eh, I'm not quite there. Like I get to go to work, <laughs> right? <laughs> you choose to go to work. Yeah. At least then you're acknowledging your authority. You're acknowledging your choice. Yeah. No, absolutely. That's a, that's a big, that's big. So that's pressure language, binary language, a little nutshell on the pillars of conflict and architect language. One more time to revisit the conflict language is going to be soft talk, negations and projections. Mm -hmm. The flip side of those coins are going to be solid talk, affirmations and reflections. Two other subcategories of conflict language are going to be binary language, the always, never, um, every day, mm -hmm. and then pressure language have to get to should. Yeah. So that takes us into like, now we've talked a lot about words, mm -hmm. words, words, words are powerful. We're starting to get that idea, but what words do is they do so much more. And we've already touched on a couple of times. They create stories. Yep. So that's now the land we're starting to head into. That's why words are so important. It's not the word itself, right? It's the story that is attached to the word that we create in our imagination. Mm -hmm. So we have something called uh, the four-step story work process. I'm gonna, we'll, we'll breeze through it really quickly uh, because this can be a very in-depth process. Mm. Oh, absolutely. The one note that I will give you on this is we can use this process one of two ways. One way and the most, most commonly used way is to what we call get out of the stuck. Right. So if you find yourself in a bad mood, you find yourself stuck in something, there's something that you can't let go. It's likely that there's a story there. There's a story that's running around in your head. And the problem with it running around in your head is it's infinite. It's vast. It, it's it's all encompassing. Mm -hmm. What we want to do with that story is we want to write it down. We want to provide it with a beginning, a middle and an end so that we can see this thing that was huge and, and unmeasurable and just running around in my head can actually fit on one, two, three sheets of paper. 
it has an ending. Like a movie, you want to title it. You want to title this memory, right? So whatever this stuck is, and it can truly be anything. It can be something from when you were uh, five years old that you're still hanging on to. Mm. It can be something that happened just last week. Most likely the thing that happened just last week is tied to something that happened further back. Mm -hmm. But if you don't have access to that, you can start with the thing that happened just last week. So give it the title, title it like a movie. And then when you're writing this story out, write it conversationally. This is the difference between story work and journaling, right? So when you do journaling, most of the time you write about how you feel about how something happened. Story work says, if somebody were to pick this up, they would be able to follow the story. It's like reading a book. Mm, okay. So that's what you mean by conversationally. It's like write it out. Like, yes. Like a book style. Write it out conversationally. So if some if if somebody else were to pick up this story, the book of James, mm-hmm. they would understand what happened in this experience okay. to you, right? I walked into the kitchen. I picked up the knife. I dropped it on my toe. Mm-hmm. Okay. I okay. almost cut my foot off. Now I'm forever scared of knives. <laughs> okay. Makes okay. sense. So we give it a title, and so the title of that could be uh, the knife show, whatever. Give mm-hmm. it a title, something that um, something that resonates with you in the story. Write the story out conversationally. That's step number one. The whole idea is that we take it from right here in the middle of our face because it's running around in the story, and we get just a little bit of space from it. This could be, you know, a very difficult story. It could be emotionally charged. Go wherever you're comfortable going. Mm-hmm. Step one, write it. Step two, read that story out loud. Okay. Read it. So we've got it on paper. I see it's got a beginning, a middle, and an end, and I'm going to read it. That's step two. Simple. Now, likely what happens the first time that you read it, the more emotionally charged this story is, the more um, possible that this is that that, that it happens, Mm -hmm. is that you're going to, you may have an emotional response to the story. So your breathing may come up. You might feel anxious or scared. You might even cry. Uh, you could feel if it's a good story, you could feel happy. Most of the time people use this to get out of stuck. Mm-hmm. So it's a little bit more difficult. There's things that can happen associated with the story. Yeah, absolutely. So we read it. Go at whatever pace you're comfortable with. You've gotten just a little bit more space because now it's from out here. I verbalized it, right? It's out here on the paper. Got it here. I verbalized it. It's out here. Step three is that we read the story at 70% speed. So I went into the kitchen. I grabbed the knife from the counter. I dropped the knife on my toe. Versus I went into the kitchen. I got the knife over the counter. I dropped it on my toe. Mm -hmm. We want to slow down. We slow down. It allows us to think gives us a little bit more space. The last step, step four, is that we add the breath. So we add what's called a parasympathetic breath, like we talked about earlier, the low and slow, Mm -hmm. loud inhale, long exhale. So I went into the kitchen. I grabbed the knife off the counter. I dropped the knife onto my toe. (sighs) 
we've got even more space. We've gone through all four steps. So anywhere that you notice a period or a comma, like a run-on sentence, you wanna add a, a dash and add that breath, okay? The whole purpose is now I have, I've taken the story from right here in my head, all in my face to out here. I've gotten space. I'm able to think logically about it, right? If we go back to the, the purpose of the breath, that parasympathetic breath turns on the prefrontal cortex, gets us to rest, digest, also gets us to think logically versus react. So now I have some space here. And once I have space, I have options. Mm. Where when the story is right here, in my head and in my face, my only choice, binary language acknowledged, is to fight it or run from it. Mm, okay. Once I have some space, there's something I can do about it. Right? So now I can decide, what does this mean about me? Right? I've got a little bit of space. Maybe uh, the old story about dropping the knife on the toe meant that I was stupid. Maybe the new story, now that I have some space, means I was a kid. Kids do things. Oh, yeah. So now the identity that I had cultivated around a simple story was that I'm stupid. Because when I was one time, when I was a kid, I didn't listen to my mom. I grabbed a knife off a counter, ended up dropping it on my toe, almost cutting my toe off. Now it's like, oh, I was a kid who didn't listen to one thing that my mom told me. What did I learn from that experience? Well, I learned that uh, actions have consequences. I could have learned that um, things could go wrong and sometimes they don't go as bad as they could, mm -hmm. right? So I learned that there's grace in difficult circumstances, right? I learned that maybe I should listen to my mom more frequently. It's always good to listen to your mama. <laughs> so now the story used to be, I'm stupid, uh, I'm a bad kid, to I made a bad decision, right? And I'm resilient. Mm -hmm. Which identity would you rather live into? 100% the second one. Yeah. Yeah. You don't want to be every day like, I'm stupid, I'm stupid, I'm stupid, I'm stupid, I'm stupid. It's like, it's just going to tear at you every day. Yep. And that's what happens to a lot of people, mm -hmm. right? Is the word, the stories running around in their heads are, are composed of words and the words tell us who we are. They tell you, uh, they tell you who to believe that you are in space, right? Right. Your beliefs affect the behavior because once you believe something, you're more likely to engage in behavior that reaffirms that belief. So you do the thing that you think you should do based on the belief that you hold, and then you create the identity. I am the type of person that, why am I the type of person that does this? Because of the behaviors that I've enacted in, the evidence that I've created that says I am this type of person. That evidence comes from the belief that you held that was tied to a story that started as a word. Mm -hmm. Exactly. One big circle. Big circle. <laughs> um, so the you're stupid example, right? We can also use that as... Going back to kids, because uh, kids seem to be really great examples of this. Oh, yeah, easily. If you tell a kid one time that he's stupid, it's likely that they might, they might have hurt feelings about it, but they'll brush it off, most likely. Now, if I tell that same kid that he's, he or she is stupid 
every single day for a year, it is much more likely that they cultivate the belief, enact the behaviors, and cultivate the identity, create the identity that they are stupid, right? How did it start? It started with a single word. Mm -hmm. So we used our word to influence, um, to influence our identity in that example. Right. We do the same, we as adults do the same thing. <laughs> wow, it's crazy. <laughs> There's so many people that are still stuck with stories that, um, you know, these cornerstone moments, these things that happen in our lives. Um, and we, we, we hold on to the identity that we had created then. We seek and find more evidence with it, right? So there's the I'm stupid example. You tell a little kid every day for a year that he's stupid. As he's an adult, he believes that he is stupid. He or she believes he is stupid. Um, you know, uh, there is, there's another word that has been used a lot lately called victim, mm -hmm. right? Why these, why I believe that these stories and taking control of these stories are important is because they set up the type of person that you are in your own imagination. Are you the hero of the story or are you the victim? There's a villain as well. Most people, most of the time, see themselves as a victim, consciously or unconsciously, and I'll tell you why. So there's a difference between being a victim of something objectively, so victim as a noun, right? Everyone, I would imagine, at some point in their life, has been the victim of the actions of someone or something else, right? Objectively, you could say that the deer running out in front of the car makes your vehicle the victim of the actions of the deer. Yeah, right. Objective, got it. You are the victim as a noun. Victim as a verb sets you up as the, as the, as the identity it creates, now you are the subject. You are the experience. Rather than a person that something happened to, that is who you are. So this ties into something called the victim mentality. So what the victim mentality is, is the victim mentality is an acquired personality trait in which a person tends to regard himself or herself as the victim of the negative actions of others, even in the absence of clear evidence. The victim mentality depends on a habitual thought process and attributions. So that last sentence is really important. It's habitual, means it happens frequently. It's a habit. It's something that you do over and over and over. Habitual thought processes. I'm thinking about it every day. I'm creating myself. I'm positioning myself as a victim. Okay. I'm attributing, I'm giving the responsibility to someone or something outside of myself for who I am and who I have to be. Even in the absence of clear evidence. So your brain's going to seek and find, right? If it cannot find things that fit neatly, it will start to look for things that maybe don't fit, but it wants to morph that could. So example, we're driving down, I'm driving down the road and I'm sure people who are listening to this have experienced this. We're driving down the road. We 
don't look into our blind spot or we we look and just just look in the mirror mm-hmm. we go to get over and there's somebody in your blind spot and you get mad at them <laughs> wait a second this is deja vu <laughs> so you getting mad at that person like what are you doing in my blind spot right creates a he or she was in my blind spot if that story creates the creates the 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 further story that this person's sole objective of the day was to wake up at just the right time get on the highway at the exact moment know your schedule in detail make sure that they were going just the right speed to get in just the right spot which would be your blind spot at just the right moment in time and space so that when you wanted to get over, they were there. Very devious person. (laughs) It creates them as the villain and you as the victim, even in the absence of clear evidence. They did that to me. What you don't have is you don't have any ownership or authority. Oh yeah, I got in the car. I was driving down the highway. I did not look into my blind spot. It just creates the dichotomy of villain, James, or person driving in car, victim, me. Mm. Why this is so pervasive, I'll give you a story. So I was in ninth grade. Um, I was dating a girl. A lot of my stories seem to revolve around girls. Girls, man, they're, they cause problems. Yeah, watch no out for girls. Yeah. Yeah, watch out for girls. <laughs> so I was dating this girl um, who, this was my first real girlfriend. Okay. I didn't kiss a girl until ninth grade. Yeah, that sounds about right. And this yeah. was the girl. Okay. So um, we're dating and she starts talking to another guy or another Ooh. guy starts talking to her exactly uh-huh. right so i'm about as i'm about as big around as i am tall at this point in time i haven't quite hit my growth spurt yet <laughs> right <laughs> and but i'm full of this like who i think that i need to be i'm full of this like arrogance and cockiness and i gotta stand up for myself this is my shot right i can't be a freshman getting my girl getting taken away by an upperclassman so um a couple weeks all end up cultivating in a moment where I, this kid and I meet in the hallway. I turn away to look at a friend and then I wake up in the principal's office with my hand over my face in front of a mirror. I pull it down and I see I have a quarter size hole in my cheek. I have a tooth that's out of my face. Sweet. Yeah. So what had happened was when I turned away, I turned back into a punch. Oh, all right. Yeah. Don't remember any of it. Right. But the story that came along with that was he did this to me. I positioned myself as the victim of a villain. What that did was it took away all of the ownership and authority for I went looking for the fight. I talked shit to the guy. I I, I really went and found him. Mm. I took my eye off of him. Right? <laughs> I was I showed up. I talked shit. I did all of the things that made me an active participant in right. the outcome. Yeah. Just because it didn't go my way. Yeah. Does not make him a villain and me a victim. Yeah. But the story was he did this to me. If that's the story, 
there's nothing that I have to do about it. There's nothing that I can do about it. Right. That changed the way that I interacted for the next handful of years, right? Because then I had a chip on my shoulder. Then I let that story tell me that I needed to show up arrogantly. I needed to show up overconfident. I needed to show up as this type of person so that that never happened to me again. And that type of person was not the type of person that I wanted to be. I was a dick. Mm. I showed up as a dick. Right. Just that guy who was like, nah, man, I ain't taking shit. Yep, exactly. That's how I decided to show up based on my experience. So I had cultivated a story. I had created, I had cultivated a story, belief, behavior, identity, Mm -hmm. all wrapped around. He did that to me all wrapped around the words. This is why the victim mentality can be so pervasive because if you do not consider yourself the hero, you either consider yourself the victim or the villain. Mm -hmm. When given the opportunity, most are going to identify as a victim. Why, yes. And why not choose to be? I mean, you have a choice. Right. That's what these tools give you is they, they give you back the power. They give you back the choice. You are who you say you are. If that is true and if we know that that is true, why not write a better story? Mm-hmm. Negation under, un, acknowledged. Most people see the problems that they have. Right. So this would be another fun language game that we can cultivate. You've gotten a lot of people listening to this have gotten a lot of tools and a lot of information. Yeah, absolutely. So far. So let's make it really practical. Okay. Um, I want you, you, everybody listening and you, James, you can do this too. Let's do it. Write down one problem statement. So I have a problem with dot, dot, dot. It could be a person. It could be a behavior. um, It could be, you know, something that you do. I have a problem getting up in the morning. I have a problem getting enough vegetables. I have a problem with Cody. Okay. Ooh, I got one. I have a problem with credit cards. Mm, credit cards. Yeah, I figure it's a nice, easy one to apply to everyone. Yeah, so I have a problem with credit cards. Mm-hmm. What does that story position you as? Oh, victim. Positions you as the victim of credit cards, mm-hmm. right? There's nothing that you can do about it. I got a problem with them. Mm-hmm. We're going to, again, change the words. Okay. So I want you to change the word problem to opportunity. Okay. So now I have an opportunity with credit cards. How does that change the the feels for you? They don't seem as villainous now. Mm. They seem much more like I have an opportunity with credit cards. Like they can be utilized as a tool, as a good thing, not so much as a baggage or a very, very, uh, very heavy thing on the mind. <laughs> so there's something you can learn yeah. now. Yeah. Sweet. We changed one word, changed problem to opportunity. We changed it from credit cards to the bad guy. They're the villain. They're the thing that I can't get over mm-hmm. to, you know what? I, there's an opportunity here. There's something that I can do about this. There's possibility. We're going to add in the word golden in front of the word opportunity. Just to supercharge it, add a little more punch. I like it. I like it. 
And then I'll have you read that statement out loud. I have a golden opportunity with credit cards. So there was an interesting inflection there, right? A golden opportunity. Mm, I like it. Rings. What, uh, what changed for you? In that instance, the golden opportunity added like a lot more, uh, like flame to it. Like now I'm like, okay, yeah, there's a window here. We're going to make some things happen. We're going to make things change. We're going to do good. We're going to like, we're going to grow from this. Awesome. Write out all of your problem statements. I have a problem with eating well. I have a problem showing up to the, I have a problem with consistency. I have a problem with my mom, whatever it is. Change the word problem to opportunity. Now we are no longer the victim. We have possibility. Mm-hmm. If we have possibility, we can do something about it. If we can do something about it, alter the course, we can become the hero. We've taken ourselves from that victim mentality or the victim as a verb, right? And we've acknowledged, we've acknowledged, you know what? Maybe, maybe your mom and you, you had a falling out. Maybe there were bad, there's bad blood in the relationship. Maybe some of it, her fault, some of it, your fault. You take an ownership of it. Now here's your opportunity. Mm. Forget that. Here's your golden opportunity. Mm, I like the word golden. Golden. It changes. Yeah, it, it does. It really does. Gives it a little humph. Yeah, I like that. Golden opportunity. So that's a really easy way for you to, another easy way for people to start to use their language for them, start to reframe the way that they are uh, speaking. Yeah. If we can start to change. And we'll cap this off with a couple of things. Mm-hmm. One, awareness is the first step. Yeah, it's big. Like a lot of the stuff that we've talked about, stuff I've started to actually implement in my like overall daily life. And it does like the awareness makes a big difference because there's some stuff like mentally compared to where I was last year before I learned all this stuff, I feel a thousand times better. I was always down on myself. I was always, now I'm like, oh, I have a golden opportunity. Like things do change a lot better. Like they feel a lot better. Want something different, do something different. Right? It's the uh, when we all learn how to drive cars, they tell us, look where you want to go because you're probably going to go there mm-hmm. rather than. So look for the things that you do want. Where are your opportunities? What's the, what are the things that you do want? Can you speak about them solidly? Right. How do you have ownership of them? Go back. Listen to this a couple of times. Mm-hmm listen to start to identify awareness all right here's where i'm doing it and start with yourself start with you yeah <laughs> no just start attacking your friends and family and co-workers <laughs> hey you said maybe yeah right like whoa 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 whoa, whoa. <laughs> if if your family's on board with it we did a workshop a few weeks ago yeah and one of the the questions at the end was how can i implement this with my family because the whole family was here mm-hmm all right, now that you all have the same knowledge, set rules, yeah. set rules for the game. Because the old binary language acknowledged, the only time we create conflict is when we are playing a game with undefined rules. Mm-hmm. We're playing games all the time. Right. But if I'm playing the game by one set of rules and you don't understand those rules, right? If we come to the board and it looks like checkers, but I want to play chess, you're going to be like, what the F, man? This doesn't make any sense. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be a lot of Why comment. are you attacking yeah. me? Yeah. <laughs> so we create conflict. conflict yeah. So establish the rules. If you want to do this with your family, be like, hey, 
I'm going to take an active role in eliminating soft talk from my language. So if you hear soft, if you hear me use soft talk, please bring it to my attention and I will do the same for you. We've established rules of the game. Now we won't have conflict or as much conflict about yeah. it. Uh, the second, the, the final thing that we can do with this to, to really make it hit home is we're gonna cap this off uh, with something called the soft talk challenge. All right, so the very last mm. thing, this would be something for everyone to take home. We are going to take those soft talk because soft talk's the easiest of the conflict mm -hmm. language to wrap our head around. We're gonna take those soft talk keywords or setup words and we're gonna write them down on a piece of paper five times larger than you would normally write. Why five times larger? Because we want pattern interruption. So soft talk keywords like maybe one day perhaps Probably, possibly, kind of, sort of, would like to, think, guess, hopefully, should, could, soon, and might. You're going to take that piece of paper and you're going to tape it up somewhere that you will see it every day for the next seven days. Yep. And those that are watching, just kind of give you a little bit of example, soft talk knowledge there, um, is you can see how it's just structure a little bit bigger uh might don't mind the sloppy handwriting but that's the idea behind it write those words five times larger than normal pin them up uh bathroom mirror refrigerator next to your uh computer at your desk mm. somewhere you're going to see it every single day awareness is the first step for the next seven days what you will what i imagine you will notice is you will notice these words more frequently in the things that you say the things that you write and systematically begin to eliminate them from your lexicon oh yeah easily like i said this is something i've gone over i mean i've heard about i've talked we've talked about it been about it uh for a while now and even now i see it everywhere i'll listen to podcasts or i'll listen to public speakers or i'll listen to this person so i'm like i can just hear it it just it's the one word it's like i hear them they just pop in my head every time and the benefit for you is more clarity mm -hmm. better understanding which cultivates better relationships, right? I, I know very few people who are like, yeah, I'd love to, I'd love to systematically make my relationship worse. worse. <laughs> I want to take it all. <laughs> yeah. Soft talk is one of the fastest ways that you can begin to do that because it creates ambiguity and uncertainty. Removing that will provide more clarity and accuracy, which improves communication. Mm -hmm. yeah. That's the soft talk challenge. That's yeah. do it. Take it, pin it up, run with it, run, run with, with it. it. Yeah. The last thing with that too is with all of the information that we've learned today, it can, I do, this happens for me. Once I take in new information, I want to share it with everyone, 
right? So there's, we learn, uh, here's the, the, pro, the process of learning, right? We, re, we retain 30% of what we hear, 50% of what we write, and 80% of what we teach. So I encourage you to take this and teach this to people. Now know that there should be some tact with it. You have all this new information. It can be very easy to be the soft talk Nazi. Like, yeah, I heard you say should. You don't say should. <laughs> give them grace. Mm -hmm. uh, give grace to yourself. Give grace to other people. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but yeah, no, there's overall a lot, a lot of information that was talked about in today's episode and in this overall uh, podcast. Um, with that being said, um, first and foremost, the big challenge to take away is start your soft talk, soft talk challenge, write it down, get it posted up, um, work that first step. Uh, again, uh, highly recommend listening to this once, twice, a couple of times. Just to, there's a lot of information. There's a lot of good takeaways here. Um, but with that also being said, if you do have questions or you want more information or you want to dive into a little bit deeper, don't be afraid to reach out to Cody. He will gladly talk about the stuff. He does enjoy it a lot. Um, it's something he's become very passionate about. So rather you, than don't be afraid to, do reach out to. Oh, I was going to say, be afraid. <laughs> so do reach out to Cody, though. Um, he will gladly talk about this stuff and give you more insight as well as work it with you. Um, other than that, thanks for tuning in today's episode, wherever you're tuning in from. Don't forget to follow, leave a like, and we'll see you guys on the next episode.